God's written living word. It's how he thinks. It tells me what God says or who God says I am. And it reveals to me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'm going to read. And therefore I am transformed. Amen. We're going to continue in our present series on God's dream. And I've entitled this morning, Back to the Future. Have you ever wished that you could go back in time and do something differently? Or change something, go back in time and change something maybe that you said? Or alter events so that the outcome in the future would be different than they are today? Have you ever thought that? There's a movie entitled Back to the Future. It was a huge, huge hit that came out in 1985. In fact, it's, it's, there's, been, there's been two more, so there's three. It's a trilogy starring Michael J. Fox. How many of you have seen Back to the Future, at least the first one? Any of you that haven't yet, rent it. All right? You'll enjoy it, especially the, the first one in the trilogy. Uh, let me give you the movie plot. A high schooler named Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, endures the acrimonious relationship between his nerdy father and his lovely mother, who is also overweight and alcoholic. The one bomb in Marty's life, the one redeeming thing, is his friendship with an eccentric, wacky scientist named Doc, who at present is working on a time machine. When Marty accidentally zaps himself back into the 1950s, he inadvertently interferes with the budding romance of his now teenage parents. Marty must now reunite his parents-to-be, ensuring they fall in love and get married, or else he will cease to exist in the 1980s. Now, you might be asking, why would you insert a carnal old synopsis of a movie from 1980s into a service like this? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus went into your future and he changed what was wrong so that today you could live in the abundance of the God kind of life before you were ever born Jesus went into your future and redeemed your innocence and brought you into right relationship with God. He nullified. I mean, he went into your future before you were born and nullified all the implications of the fall and then released abundant life over your life. That's your heritage. That's what you walk in. That should be our daily life. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians and just part the curtains and look further into this idea of God's dream. 
Let's look, Ephesians chapter 1. They're going to have these verses by slide. Follow me, guys, please, in the sound booth. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading from the mirror translation of the Bible. Verse 1, Paul employed by the delight Excuse me, Paul, employed by the delightful resolve of God and commissioned to represent Jesus Christ to the saints in Ephesus, also to every believer in Christ Jesus. I greet you with the grace and the peace that proceed from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate God. Uh, Sila, pause. I think that's what we did this morning. Let's celebrate God. That's what we were doing this morning. We were celebrating God. Look at the rest of that verse with me. He lavished every blessing heaven has upon us in Christ. Remember my earlier statement to you that Christ went into your future and nullified nullified every effect or implication of the fall. Let's be sure there's no scripture up if I'm not actually reviewing it. What happens is people are distracted then they're not listening to me. They're reading ahead. Thank you so much. We read here that he lavished every blessing upon us in Christ. How did he do that? He went into your future. He set your existence up for you ahead of time and declared your blessing. He declared that you would walk in an abundant life. Wow. Look at verse 4 with me. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. Jesus is God's mind made up about us. He always knew in his love that he would present us again face to face before him in blameless innocence. Verse 5. He is the architect of our design. His heart dream realizing our coming of age in Christ. Very intentional wording there. We're going, to, we're going to walk through that this morning. You know, I feel like there's a great divide sometimes in the teaching and the theology of Christianity. A great divide. What am I talking about? This idea that, that Christians often espouse or foist on the world, that God is mad at them. God's mad at you. (laughs) This idea that your sin separates you from God. Your sin doesn't separate you from God. That's a fallacy. If Jesus died for your sin, if Isaiah the prophet was correct in saying that God has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, what are you doing walking in sin consciousness all the time? And why do we constantly remind the person who's not yet a Christ follower that what God is interested in, what he really spends his time on when it comes to their life is the sin that's in their life? Excuse me? Question, did did Jesus die for (laughs) non-Christians? 
I, I mean, I'm just saying. Did Jesus die for anybody that hasn't actually prayed the prayer and isn't yet attending church? Are those sins gone too? Are those sins removed as far as the east is from the west? Or just you and me who have prayed the prayer and attend church? Help me. See, so there's this great divide in our teaching where we we tend to draw a circle around us and then we have the they. We have the we that are, you know, we're in the know. We've been saved. We're, We're part of the church. And then we have the sinners out there. So we have the we and the they or the us and the them. It's like Jesus was a stranger when he came. He came to a foreign planet. (laughs) I mean, this is what our teaching actually engenders. No, he wasn't. He wasn't a stranger. He made this place. He spoke it into being. He knows every bug, every bird, every creature. He knows everybody who's ever existed on the planet. In fact, the scripture says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And not only the hills, but all the cattle on the hills and all of you. And I'm going to tell you something else. It'll just flip your theology upside down. Everybody who hasn't prayed the prayer yet. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, you're messing with me now. All right, let's look at it. Doug's going to help me here. We want to put up John chapter 1, verse 12, from the mirror translation. Everyone who realizes their association in him, convinced that he is their original life, and that his name defines them, In them, he endorses the fact that they are indeed his offspring, begotten of him. I I want you just in your mind to underscore, as I've done here on the slide. Would you, in your mind or even in the passage as as you have it there in your translation, would you just underscore the corresponding part? We are his offspring begotten of him. He sanctifies the legitimacy of their sonship. Now, let's go to verse 13. These are they who discover their genesis in God beyond their natural conception. Man began with God. We are not the invention of our parents. Verse 14. Suddenly, the invisible eternal word takes on visible form. The incarnation. In Jesus, and now confirmed in us, the most accurate, tangible display of God's eternal thought finds expression in human life. When you walk in a room, God walks in a room. When you go to Starbucks and have coffee with a friend, your friend is sitting across from the eternal thought of God. God loves them. God's crazy about them. God's not mad at them. 
Look at this. The word became a human being. Verse 14. In every translation, you'll basically find that stated. And the word became flesh. Do you know that's not talking about this? I used to think that was talking about this. And then 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 20. Uh, we're not born again by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, by the word of God. I was taught that meant the scriptures. Excuse me, when that verse was written, this didn't even exist. This didn't come for 350 years after that letter where Peter wrote, you're not born again by corruptible seed. You're born again by the incorruptible seed, by the word of God. He wasn't talking about scriptures. He was talking about the son of the living God. Question, did he die only for Christians? Has he only forgiven church-going folks? Is the same word incorruptible seed that caused you to be able to encounter the new birth, is that available? Is that a reality now today for your friends? Is it a reality now for the most despicable person who's running from God, hates God, doesn't go to church, curses, foul mouth, boozes it up, I mean, where do you want to go? I mean, you have, you, we all have our moral list. You know what I'm... Oh. Watch this. Take, take, the, take the scriptures down. Take, I just want all of you to zoom in on this. All right, you ready? Wrap your, wrap your head around this. Mary's womb gave God the legal access he needed into the earth. See, when God created Adam and Eve, one of the first things he did after creating them was said, here, manage this. It's yours. Right? Remember that? In Genesis? Here, manage this. Gave him the earth, gave him the garden, said, you name everything, here, you are Lord over everything. It's all under your control. And then Adam and Eve abdicated that rule and gave it back to, or gave it to the enemy, right? Which when the enemy, Satan, was tempting Jesus, one of the temptations was what? If you will bow down and serve me, I will give you, and he showed him a picture of all of the kingdoms of the earth and their glory and all the power. And he said, I'll give it to you. Here's what he said. Satan said, I will give it to you for it has been given to me. Where did he get it? So God, because he honors his word and he honors covenant, he had made a covenant with Adam and Eve. It's yours. Manage it. Now he needs a legal access back into the earth where he can insert a human being who would honor him, live like him, walk in his presence, and could be tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. And Jesus was born through the womb of a virgin. 
and he walked this earth and he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. And he did not do it as the son of God. The scripture says he laid down his divinity. Although he was God, he laid down his divinity and he became a servant, just living his life as a humble man, anointed of the Holy Spirit. This is why I would never forego being in a gathering of believers weekly for anything. I don't care what the entertainment is. In fact, most of our lives, and we've been believers longer than most of you have been alive. I look out over this crowd and I say, my goodness, we've, we've, we've walked with Jesus longer than two-thirds of our congregation has been on planet Earth. When we would go on vacation, we'd find a gathering of believers on Sunday morning. We'd get our fannies down to the gathering of believers. You know why? Because we wanted to experience what we experienced here. You say, did you experience that every time you went to church? No. But that was my dream. That was my hope. That was my expectation. I'll tell you what. No matter what happened in that church service, I left with something. I left with something in my spirit, see, because I wanted to worship. I wanted to be in the gathering of believers. I wanted to be, I wanted to be in the presence of the one who used the womb of a virgin to introduce God to all of creation. And I wanted to say, thank you. Thank you. I have been begotten. I have been but. Turn to somebody and say, I have been begotten. So that was your left side. Now turn to the person on your right and tell them. (laughs) You say, how do you know it was my left side? (laughs) Because we always flow in the left before we are right. You missed that, I know it was it just kind of sort of there there. So listen to me now. Can I drop something else in your heart? You were found in Christ before you were lost in Adam. We've built a whole religion glorifying that we're all lost in Adam. Western Christianity. We are lost. I mean, Adam blew it. We're all just like him. Our sin separates us from God. God's mad. <laughs> Man, I just described American Christianity. For most, for most people. I mean, that's what I grew up with. Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. They're going to put it up for you. Verse 4, just the first part of it. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. Now, this is a key, prophetic, life-altering verse and idea here. It is as important as John chapter 3, verse 16. What verse is that? Oh, yeah. 
See, that's why you need an older pastor who still, you know, not only believes the Bible, but studies it. We have people today don't even, you know, they've never seen one of these. Bible. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. Now, I know most translations say this, that we were found in Christ before the foundation of the world, or we were, what's, what's your translation say? Real loud. You there? Lila, you got it? Yeah. What are you doing, Facebooking? No, I'm Greek in a linear. So oh, Greek in a linear. <laughs> <laughs> Hoity-toity. Yeah, just the first, like, first part of it. Even before, his, before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Okay, who has another verse? It talks about foundations. New King James, New NIV. See, none of you have a Bible because you... you yeah. Say it real loud. Go, 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 go. The creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Does anybody have a translation that says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world? What's your say, Jeff? You getting it? NIV says that. Jeff, yours? Good. And yours? Uh, uh, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Okay. That's uh, an unfortunate translation. Paul uses the word katabalo, meaning to fall away or to put in a lower place, not the word thimolius, meaning foundation. Thus, we translate this before the fall of the world, not the foundation of the world. When was the fall of the world? When Adam and Eve turned it all over and abdicated. Do you see this back to the future thing? Jesus, before Adam ever messed up, went out into your future redeemed you, blessed you, determined that your life would be fruitful and exciting and a a great life in Christ, and then presented you before the Father begotten. So, in truth, God found us in Christ before we were lost in Adam. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam because he chose us in Christ before the fall of the world. Now, part B of verse 4, Doug. Jesus, watch this, is God's mind made up about us. 
He always knew in his love that he would present us again face to face before him in blameless innocence. Ed, come up here. Stand on that second stair. I'm going to let Ed play God. He's a little older. But he's just not as tall as God, so I had to get him on the second stair. Now, the scripture says, in this incredible plan, this foreknowledge of God, He went out into our future, loving us so much. In fact, the Bible says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But that that son was slain before the fall of the world. So God said, all right, Jesus, we're we're deciding this right now. Uh, We don't know when that was, but it was before the fall of the world. And they got together and planned it, and Jesus went out into our future. I don't know how he did it. And he paid the price. He was a lamb slain. And then he brought you and me in the mind and heart of God. He brought us, every one of you right, right now looking at me, and all of you listening to me. Hello, Japan. Hello, India. Hello, Bahamas. Hello, Australia. Hello, Spain. We've picked up some new ones. Yeah. The Bible says he presented us to the Father because the Father had a dream. He had a dream that we would appear before him in love and that we would not be lost. (laughs) That's quite a dream. That's quite a dream. God dreamed that he would have you back, that he'd look you right in the face. (laughs) He'd look you right in the face and say, that's my lovely one. That's my redeemed one. That's my innocent one. That one belongs to me. That one belongs to me. They belong to me. That one belongs to me. You belong to me. Now, here's the deal. That doesn't apply just to church folk. That doesn't apply just to the people that have prayed the prayer. You need to change the way you witness. Start coming alongside the person who's not yet a passionate Christ follower and start telling them that God's already redeemed them, that God loves them as much as he loves Jesus and that he's already reconciled them perfectly to the Father and that they stand there before the Father. You know that what the only difference is between you and the Father, and that person, and the Father? Let me show you. Come here. All right. That's the difference. That's the difference. There's a veil there. They can't see him. It's a veil of darkness. But that's the only difference. As far as reach reach out and grab me, God. I mean, you don't need to lift that just through it. See, I mean, God's pursuing you. God's pursuing you. All right. 
Give me a hug. I mean, the times God has been merciful to the non-Christ follower, the times God delivered you from that accident, the time God kept your children, the times that God is, right? There's just, but there's a veil. But in Christ, that veil is removed, the scripture says. And we come and we stand before him and we worship and we say, thank you for the Christ. Thank you that before the world began, before the fall of Adam, you had a dream, God. You had a dream that I would again stand before your face, eye to eye, face to face, and call you Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ed. Hallelujah. Wow. Wow. And all the implications of the fall were canceled in Christ. I submit to you that God and Jesus were successful. Let's go to verse 5. This will be our last verse. Doug, thanks. Give Doug a big hand clap. He's back there. He's not even one of our, our weekly people. He just, you know, said, I'll help. He's been doing a great job. Verse 5. He is the architect of our design. Now watch this. Of our design, his heart dream realized our coming of age in Christ. Now, I know that other translations, in fact, the one you're reading right now, most likely says something like this having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, right? How many of you, right? Having predestined us to be adopted as sons, but the Greek word used there for adoption doesn't mean adoption as we think about it in our Western thought of going, finding a child born of other parents and brought into the family, adopted in now to my family. It is the word that means coming of age. And so Francois translates this correctly in the mirror translation. He is the architect of our design. His heart dream realized our coming of age in Christ. You say, Jeff, why, why is that important? Why would you spend time on that point? Just this. If we are adopted, we had another father. I am not adopted. <laughs> I was born of God. His blood flows through my veins. I have his DNA. I'm not adopted. I'm his kid. There's never been separation in the heart and mind of God. Oh, there's been a veil. There's been a life of flesh. There's been a soul that wasn't seeking him. And yes, I need Jesus. I need my Savior. But our genesis is in the Father. We came from his loins. John chapter 1 verse 13 says this. Who discover their genesis in God beyond their natural conception. Man began in God. We are not the invention of our parents. Listen to me, dear ones. You are not a failure. Everything in your life that you have felt was a mistake wishing that you could go back and redo it. If I, if I could only go back in time and redo that, 
Jesus has swallowed up in his love. He presents you before the Father face to face in blameless innocence before you ever blew it. Before you ever blew it the first time. Before you ever sinned, before you ever made a mess of things, Jesus had already redeemed you, set you before the Father as his brother, and placed you back in the divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the veil has been removed. And we pull back the curtain and we say, my God... There's Jesus, my Redeemer. Now, listen. Could it be that loving your neighbor looks like ending the we and they, the your sin separates you from God, religious nonsense, and instead you start hanging around with people just to love them like God does? And expose them to the kingdom of God? You know, it is the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Could it be that our neighbor is actually our neighbor? Do we need to spiritualize that? Do do we need to like take that somewhere in our teaching and make it something it isn't? Could it be that the greatest command of all is to just love people like God actually loves them and quit creating the we and they separation that God never ordained and he blew it all away in Jesus Christ. Let's stand.